What is going on, everybody? My name is Kyle O'Grady. I am a thru-hiker. I am a peak bagger. I am a huge hiking nerd. And every single week on this podcast, you know what we do. We chat with other thru-hikers and other peak baggers and other hiking nerds about their experiences on the trail. And that is certainly what we did in this week's episode. Troy Zoner is on the podcast. And let me tell you, first of all, his trail name is Tomcat. This guy has done a ton of stuff. And that sounds like the most generic podcast intro thing to say. Like, oh yeah, he's done a ton of stuff. No, like actually, this guy has done a ton of stuff, way more than I have. And it was really awesome to talk to him. We basically just jumped around and and just tried to touch on as many different things uh, as we could. Because like I said, this man has a long hiking resume. It was really, really fun. I really appreciate Troy reaching out to me to make this happen. So Troy, thank you so much. We're going to get into the episode in just one second. First, I just want to say something to the folks who listen to this podcast quite frequently. You might have noticed that last week there was no episode. And I just got to say the next few weeks might be a little spotty as far as episodes go. Um, just some stuff has come up and I just need a little bit of time off in the podcast. I'm still going to put out a couple episodes, but just bear with me. Things are going to get back to once a week. Very, very shortly. It's just going to be a few more weeks of, of potentially no episodes. <laughs> we'll see what happens, um, but it's going to be all good. And I'm looking forward to getting back into things. Uh, and yeah, a few weeks. So thank you so much to everybody who listens to this podcast all the time. I seriously, seriously appreciate it. It's, I, I, don't, I don't say thank you enough to the folks who download this podcast every single week. I know there's a lot of you, and uh, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for you. With that said, we're going to keep this intro short. We're going to get into the episode number 102 with Troy Zoner. episode number 102 of trail tales i am here today with a man named troy zoner his trail name is tomcat and i think this is going to be fun i'll be honest i i get a decent amount of e- nah, i don't want to overstate that i get some emails from folks who request to be guests on the show and though i'm always flattered i don't always take them up on it um, mostly if I don't really see anything jump out to me that sounds like interesting for me personally, not to say that people who have emailed me before, you know, they're not interesting or whatever. I'm too good for them. It's anything ridiculous like that. It's just, if, it, if something kind of catches my eye, that's kind of when I, when I take the bait and, uh, Troy sent me an email, Tomcat sent me an email and, uh, a bunch of things stuck out because he's done a bunch of really cool stuff. I think he's going to bring... As as you said in the email, Troy, I think I think you're gonna bring a bit of a different perspective um, to this to this uh, to this episode because um, Troy, as we're gonna get into in a second, through hiked the Appalachian Trail in 1999, which is a long time ago. So um, yeah, it's just a different perspective. And and I have had people on the show who have hiked, uh, you know, back then on previous episodes, but it's been a long time. So anyways, um, very long winded introduction there. Troy, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for reaching out and, uh, thanks for rescheduling. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I kind of, you know, laid out some stuff there, but why don't I give you a chance to properly introduce yourself? 
Um, tell everybody who you are. Uh, I guess the cliff notes of what you've hiked because there's a lot of stuff on this list I'm looking at. Um, and yeah, just tell everybody who uh, Tomcat is. Yeah, well, I, uh, like you said, I threw hiked in 99. And uh, before that, I have done a little bit of hiking, but that was my first real big hike. Other than that, it was a couple of overnighters and maybe weekend hikes, but nothing to that scale, obviously, before that. And then I actually had a couple of failed through hikes after that, uh, a shortened trip on the Colorado Trail in PCT and stepped away for a little bit, but then I got back into it. I uh, backpacked the uh, Coas Trail in New Hampshire. That was kind of my first getting back into backpacking after a several year absence and going to college in between. And then uh did a bunch of smaller trips into England, uh, the Grafton Loop, other trips in the whites that I kind of threw together on my own. Did the long trail, I think that was, uh, two, uh, excuse me, 2011. And then uh, I moved to Colorado for a few years and I did a bunch of trips out there. A lot of them were kind of my own manufacturing in, uh, mostly in Colorado, a little bit in other states around the area too. Most recently I did the, uh, Ortho Plaza Trail this year and a bunch of smaller trips. A lot in down in Pennsylvania, but the NPT was the bigger one that I did recently. Mm. And, uh, and when I'm not doing the backpacking, I do a lot of peak bagging. I've done, I think I'm up to 38 on the Adirondack 46, probably in the mid 30s in New Hampshire, all of uh, New, uh, Vermont and Maine. And I've also done a bunch of the 14ers and a bunch more 13ers when I lived out in Colorado. You are a certified hiking nerd, dude. You've done, <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of stuff. I love to hear that, honestly. Well, if you've been um, in it for 25 plus years, you get around over time. Yeah. Can I ask you how old you are? Um, 43. 43. So you're not even like, you're not even like old either. Like that's, that's a very impressive hiking resume, I will say. Um, and I think it's interesting because you've done stuff, like a decent amount of stuff, both here in the East and out West as well. And that kind of, that kind of sparks my interest, honestly, because as most people know, listening uh, I'm primarily an East Coast hiker. I am. I don't know. Primarily, like that's nonsense. I am an East Coast hiker. I've right. basically never done anything out west. But even today, actually, I was starting to scheme a little bit and do some research on getting out west a little bit next year. Nothing. Uh, nothing. You know, really big. No. No PCTs or CDTs, unfortunately. But um, I do want to get out there and do some hiking, um, just with my vacation time and stuff. Yeah, it's a different world out there, and. I haven't hiked both. I definitely have to say I'm more of a West Coast guy, but hiking in the Northeast, it kind of prepares you for hiking anywhere, really. Yeah, I can believe that for sure. I'm I'm, I'm really kind of uh, intrigued at what you just said there, that you kind of prefer the West Coast, because it seems like, at least based on you know what you just talked about there, a slight majority of what you've done has been East Coast. Yeah, um, it has been. And so, and, and you're there, you're settled you know, here right now. Um, right. You said you live in the in the Adirondacks, which is awesome. So, I guess if you prefer West Coast, why are you here right now? <laughs> well, my other half, we're we're from the East Coast, and she definitely prefers the East Coast. We lived in Maine for a while, and uh, coming back to the East Coast, the Adirondacks look a lot like Maine, so that was kind of what brought us back. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. I gotcha. Um, that's an interesting comparison to the the Adirondacks versus Maine. And now that I think about it, when I was going through the 100-mile wilderness on the AT, like right at the very end of the trail, obviously. Um, I remember thinking to myself, like, this kind of reminds me of, like, some sections of the Northfield Placid Trail that I had done before, just because the 100-mile is 
relatively flat and it's like a lot of lakes and rivers and stuff and that's a pretty close uh comparison to to uh yeah to the adirondacks but um anyways dude there's so much here i don't even know where to like go next let's see um actually i i i had one one thought based on something you said earlier you said that after kind of taking a break from hiking for a while you jumped back in with the Kohas trail yeah yep is that up in new hampshire the Kohas. so my only knowledge of that trail is from previous episodes of this podcast and as people know I have a hard time pronouncing that stupid name of that trail, but Kohas, I think <laughs> I, I got it now. I got it. Only took me like three episodes, but anyways, yeah, a lot of people get confused with that because it yeah. looks like it's like whatever the northern county in New Hampshire is. I think it's spelled C O O S. Yes, I think that's the historical spelling. Is it looks like Kohos though, and when you see it written down, <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> right. Um. Anyways, so from what I know about that trail, from my limited knowledge, at least. Seems like that's a pretty gnarly trail. Like obviously, you s- parts of it are in the White Mountains, but then outside of that, it seems like it's a like pretty remote trail. It seems like it'd be kind of a, it seems like it'd be a tough one to kind of jump back into uh, with. So, can you just kind of talk about your experience there a little bit? Like, was it was it a tough hike for you? Uh, it, it was a little bit. Like I said, I've been out of the game for a while, so to speak, for uh, long distance hiking, and uh, I actually before I did the Coas. I added on the Northern Prezi Traverse, so I went from, uh, I forget the name, Appalachia Trailhead right outside of Gorham, mm-hmm. and I hiked to uh, Mount Monroe, and then hiked down to the actual start of it, so it actually was a 185-mile trip, so to make it worse, I did that with a extra gnarly section of trail there, <laughs> but uh, I started at the uh, Southern, and it's right below uh, Crawford Notch area. Mm-hmm. It follows, I believe it's the Davis Path that goes up toward Mount Isolation. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, and then it drops like back down into the. I think it's the Dry River up to Mount Eisenhower, and then it goes over. I think it's Wallbeak and Cabot Mountain, the other four thousand footers up there. And yep. after that, it gets into some remote territory in the northern part of New Hampshire, where you don't really see a whole lot of people up there. But it kind of has that feel of the uh, Northville Placid Trail, actually, when you get oh, up really? in the northern section. A lot of, you get some mountains, but a lot of it stays low where you're going near a lot of lakes and rivers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, was it hard? Did you think it was a hard one to jump kind of back into it? Because that's what it kind of sounds like from, <laughs> from talking to other people. I also remember a lot of people saying that it was like super remote. There was a lot of like snowmobile and ATV trails and stuff like that. Sometimes maybe the trail wasn't super easy to follow um yeah at times you... the trail is pretty tough it when i did it it was 2009 and it was still a relatively new trail oh so man it must have been even worse back then eh yeah there wasn't a lot of sections that were well tracked and you get into that northern part where you're on uh, atv trails and uh, snowmobile trails a lot of times there's no real marking you're just going by the guidebook and following directions and you get into some thick areas where you would uh basically see animal paths and they you couldn't differentiate always and you hoped you're on the right path eventually you would break out into a better defined trail and you'd be on the right path but mm-hmm. yeah at times it definitely was a challenge more for the navigation aspect of it and because it was on a lot of those uh snowmobile trails in the summertime they go through some swampy areas so they're yeah wet a lot of the time but i was blessed on that trip i had I believe I was out for eight straight days, and I didn't have a single drop of rain. Oh, damn. 
hard to come by in the Northeast. I was going to say, that's pretty lucky for sure. <laughs> the trail was pretty wet even without that because it rained pretty heavy right before I started. So I had wet feet a lot, but just the fact that you don't have rain, it's a big morale booster <laughs> compared to hiking in the rain for a couple of days. So that I think that was a big help for my hike and getting in my right months of that hike. Um, were there any shelters on that trail back then? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure there are a couple now and i'm i'm guess i'm 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 more referring to the section that's like north of uh the white mountain national forest trails uh, there was one that i remember i believe it was called bald face or bald head shelter up in the northern half mm-hmm. i believe they have built more since though yeah i was gonna say i'm pretty sure there's like a couple now i was poking around on the website uh a yeah, while back a few, yeah sorry there's a few in the white mountain national forest too in the southern end like uh, yeah I, one of the dry rivers i believe and but they're in pretty rough shape down in that part yeah, that trail's like on my list of through hikes I want to do, but it's not like high on my list. And I'm just coming to this realization now because, like I said, I'm kind of like trying to scheme for what I'm gonna do next year, and I want to go for at least another, at least one like longer, you know, quote longer uh, right. hike. Um, I say longer as in like you know, two hundred less than two hundred miles still, but longer than just like a weekend or whatever. Right. Um, and like that's an obvious one that jumped out to me, but then I was like something i don't know just something about it like i just i'm not like super inclined to do it but i do want to do it eventually so um maybe i need to learn how to pronounce it first but uh we're <laughs> well i think it's pretty common the uh, pronunciation <laughs> but if you do hike it i recommend later half of the summer into fall just cause yeah i think that northern section would be brutal with bugs if you go oh i'm sure sooner than yeah august <laughs> for sure i feel like you can make that recommendation for just about any, <laughs> any yeah, trail in the northeast, northeast. In general. <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's it's doesn't make it any less true um have you been back to the at for like you know more than maybe just like a couple miles here and there since your through hike in 1999 i've within a couple years of my through hike i did a fair amount in the shenandoah national park then uh living in pennsylvania i hiked a lot i grew up right outside of the port clinton area if you remember that part of the trail oh yeah so i hiked that area a bit before i left the left the state and then most of New England, I I should say, most of New Hampshire and Maine, I hiked a lot of that again since the AT through hike. Okay, okay, cool. So I'm, I'm just trying to gauge, I guess, if you've had enough experience on it since then. And I guess you don't really have to be on like the AT to, to kind of understand and, uh, I don't know, just kind of observe observe how things have changed since 1999. So this is this is a conversation, I believe... I had, I, I'm not even going to try to remember what episode number it was, but with a Kristen Gardella, I believe her name was. Yep, I actually heard that episode of yours. Yeah, okay, cool. So you probably, honestly, you probably remember more more from that episode than I do because it was a while. <laughs> it was at least a year ago, I, I want to say. But um, I think she had hiked in, I think it might have been, it might have been 1999, honestly. Yeah, it was. I actually, I think I passed her briefly. No she was way. Always like a, That's awesome. Her, her dad was with her, I believe. Yes, yes. And I always saw their name in the register. They were always just a step ahead of me, and I finally passed them up by the Crockers, and I think I finished the day before them. Oh, that's so crazy. That's Wow, I'm going to have to send her a message and tell her to listen to this episode because uh, that's really funny. Um, I'll be honest. I don't remember what we like the specifics of what we talked about, so I might end up asking you some of the same questions. I probably will that, uh, that I asked her, but I'm still curious about it. Um, cause I mean, I was what three at the time. <laughs> so, you know, I obviously like, yeah, it goes without saying Kyle, of course I didn't know anything about hiking back then. So, yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess 
I mean, we can go obvious differences. We can go subtle differences, things that people might not have thought about. Um, but let's just start with some of the big ones, I guess. I don't know. Um, very general question. How have things changed in terms of like the trail culture since then? I can't speak completely for the trail culture. To me, it seemed like it was pretty busy back just when from, I hiked Just it. from your, your observations, obviously. Yeah, you don't well, speak for everybody. Yeah. I, it seemed like the trail culture was pretty strong back then. I mean, I know I, that episode you talked with, uh, I forget her real name. Uh, Kristen. Christina, I think it was. She was uh, saying that there wasn't as much trail magic and the towns weren't as inviting. But I, I found them pretty inviting. There was still occasional trail magic but maybe it was just we were grateful for it because it was when we had it i definitely know the numbers have gotten a lot worse as far as a uh, number of hikers each year oh yeah <laughs> when I, I when i lived in maine i lived within an hour of millinocket so i would go up to katahdin quite a bit and you get in there in august september the number of people on the summit it was just huge compared to when you would do it when i did it back in the day mm-hmm mm-hmm and like and, a lot of that traffic, I feel like has just came from the past like few years too, which is yeah. I know they have. I believe they have quotas up there now on how many people can go into back there at the birches. Yeah, have to lean to. Mm-hmm. Um, how heavy was your pack back then? Well, <laughs> my pack by itself it was a low alpine. It was a ninety plus ten liter. Oh my so god! <laughs> I think it weighed about six pounds on its own. And I had relatively light gear for the time. Otherwise, like my tent was sub three pound, my sleeping bag was sub three pound. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have a lot of luxury items. I know when I biggest uh, concern when I started was my horrible planning of food drops. So out of the gate, I started with 10 days worth of food. So <laughs> that gave me like 52 pounds of pack weight right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I mean, generally I probably had a, under 30 pounds most of the time even with a full meal like a fresh meal drop yeah so i mean it was heavy but it wasn't that's not like ridiculously no. heavy though you know that's not that's honestly not as heavy as you know i might just assume based yeah. on a very you know little amount of knowledge but i kind of would have assumed that it that it would have been heavier than that to be honest because i mean it's still like very common obviously today to see people with packs in that weight range so honestly did did you did you would you say that your pack was on the lighter side for the time or was there still plenty of people that were kind of rocking that that weight range back then uh it was probably on the average side i would say there was definitely as you get north of obviously the people who have the the 70 pound packs they kind of thin out by uh yeah injury and things like that just because they can't keep up that uh pace forever but you had some people that were I mean, everybody would count their weight, but it's not like it is today where <laughs> that's the, it's almost like the priority to backpacking, you know, it seems. In some yeah, instances. it definitely seems like that. I mean, <laughs> and my, I still, I'm not a, I'm still not rocking the lightweight equipment. I mean, I shouldn't say I'm not rocking ultra light. I still have, I have a, I'm trying to think of my pack now after that I'm using off the top of my head, a, a Deuter. <laughs> it's a Deuter ATC, ACT 65 plus 10. And it, it's a couple year old model. It's sub four pounds by a couple ounces. But my base without going ultra light is still in the probably 13 to 14 pound range. It's still fairly light considering mm-hmm. my gear isn't ultra light. Yeah. Especially for, you know, a comparison of back then too, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely uh, gotten a little better with my food planning. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That, that's a big, di- that makes a big <laughs> difference too. Um, 
we talked a little bit about crowds and seeing other people out there and stuff, but I'm just curious because I feel like on my through hike when I was in the sections where I was seeing the most people and I'm just going to say the most other through hikers or like long distance backpackers, not going to count, you know, just day hikers or whatever. I want to say this is kind of an estimation, but I want to say I was seeing like at least like 10 other through hikers a day, sometimes more. Um, what, how does that compare to your estimation obviously well, of what you were seeing uh, back I started then. in the thick of it. I know you kind of started your hike later Wait, than most yeah. people, but I started March 21st. So it was in the kind of in the prime time for hikers. And you get to the first week into the, not the first week, but the first maybe couple hundred miles where you get through the Smokies. It was still consistently pretty busy. But I would say after I got through probably uh, past Damascus, it wasn't uncommon for me to have a campsite or shelter myself or maybe one other through hiker and mm-hmm. then by the time i got to new england i mean it was pretty common to get a night or two by yourself every week damn that's crazy i feel like that is just not common or not normal even possible <laughs> unless you're hiking in the winter these days um because as i've probably said in previous episodes but i think the only the only nights i ever spent by myself were when i was stealth camping away from a shelter and i was like intentionally uh, staying by myself or whatever. Um, I don't think I ever spent a night at a shelter by myself completely. And I can only think of maybe one time where I stayed at a shelter and it was just me and like my crew of a couple people there and nobody else showed up. Yeah, um, once so- I got past uh, Gorham, basically, I think I had majority of the nights like just to myself or maybe one of the person I was hiking with me it was very rare that you had I have many people. The exception was if you got to the, when I got to 100 Mile Wilderness on the weekend, there'd be some groups in there just because it was kind of a popular. Yeah. That's like a section hike. But generally, I had the trail to my, uh, the shelters and campsites to myself. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's always going to be some, you know, variety if it's a weekend or a popular section of the trail. But still, that's, that's just like a foreign concept to me. Um, It sounds, <laughs> yeah. it sounds kind of nice. But also kind of not nice because I like to see some people. Um, I always feel like such a, a baby when I say this because it's like literally just trying to take the best of both worlds. But I like to see some people, but I don't like to see too many people. So I feel like there's probably too many people now for my for my preference. Um, yeah. But uh, I feel like it probably would have been too little back then. So I don't know. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of people nowadays, you, I don't know if it's necessarily people are coming out to hike for the wilderness experience and it's which is kind of hard to get the true wilderness experience in the at but i felt like i could still get that a little bit back then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's crazy to think about yeah because not the case today unless you go in the winter if you want the wilderness experience on the at you can still get it it's just going to be during the winter which i do not recommend at all because oh, yeah, especially you'll probably freeze it <laughs> yeah especially <laughs> yeah up here at least anyways um so don't do that unless you're a trained winter professional um how about the the towns and stuff? So you mentioned that I guess we we talked about it. Um, my episode with Kristen, yeah. So towns um, were there like hiker service? I mean, obviously there's still stores and stuff, but I'm just curious if there were services 
back then that were catering to through hikers specifically, you know, even back in 1999, or if that was a normal thing back then, like, I don't fucking know. Can you talk well, about uh, that a little bit? A lot of the trail towns that you went to, uh, like back in the day, Damascus and Hot Springs, they were still pretty popular trail towns. I think trail days was going on back then already. Uh, and those were still catering to hikers pretty well and had a lot of accommodations specifically for the through hikers. When you get into other places, there was still a lot of uh, hostels. It seemed, I don't know how they are now, but they were like attached to like the churches in the area might have a spare room in there, or a spare rec room or something where they would allow hikers to sleep at night, things like that. But they were, I don't think it would go more than a week without a, a hostel somewhere close to the trail. It seemed mm-hmm. like you were, if you had a mail drop, there was a chance you'd have a hostel in one of those towns. Mm-hmm. We're, um, we're doing mail drops a lot more common. Uh, for um, resupply back then, because now you can basically do the whole trail without doing mail drops, at least for your for your food, anyways. Well, it's kind of funny. The planning of the trail is a whole different monster back then oh, yeah. than it was now. <laughs> so, when I hiked the trail, the internet—I guess it was around, but it wasn't like everybody had easy access. I believe I called the ATC and got a catalog from them to order the guides and things like that. And I ordered this. It was basically a, a workbook on how to plan an AP through hike damn that's crazy. and uh <laughs> it had like basically a list of different towns with post offices and towns that had better stores and things like that but as far as i knew i mean the only way you could really plan it pre-trip was by doing mail drops once you got on the trail though you found it wasn't as necessary and there were still a lot of people who would essentially go town to town and just buy their food as they went but it seemed like there was more i'm assuming more mail drops than there were now because it was almost mandatory back then Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah i would have hated that because i don't like doing mail drops but i should probably suck it up because i'm gonna have to in some future hikes no doubt well, um, the one good thing about that was it would give me an excuse to take a zero or nero because yeah true just truck get, right through yeah if you get caught up at the post office with their shitty hours or whatever yeah um that's a, that's a good point maybe i should do more mail drops i don't know probably <laughs> well not. it gets expensive too doing it that way yeah but, uh, especially if you're like shipping to the pct or something like that because yeah, from the east coast yeah yeah definitely were you um were you sending mail drops like while you were on trail or did you don't tell me you did them all before you left that's no, I, i've I, seen people do that before that's fucking insane like <laughs> damn. I, I, what i did was i had the my list of towns where i wanted to do the mail drops and again i was not planning very well like i said in the beginning i had 10 days of food and a couple of mail drops and there were like nine ten days of food at a time which was insane packs after the town <laughs> I actually had all my mail drops packed out ahead of time and my dad would send them to me on a, I'd like call him a couple weeks ahead of time and say, I'm going to be wherever. And can you send this one, this date? So I didn't have them all sent ahead of time, but I had them all pre-packed and there was very little change in those mail drops. That's crazy. (laughs) Did you, you must've gotten so sick of the food you packed, didn't you? To be honest, I didn't. I mean, I, what? I was one of those guys though that dumped a lot of food at a, the tiger boxes so there's probably a lot of people mm-hmm. who came and cleaned up my <laughs> leftovers <laughs> along the way damn that's impressive um i cannot imagine getting a bunch of mail drops even if you didn't send them out like together <laughs> yeah before, if i like did again i i definitely won't be as heavy on the mail drops as it was back then oh yeah but it's like i'm not, I'm not yeah like obviously like you, you gotta do what you gotta do but like just that's crazy because i've seen or I guess more so heard about people who have prepped their entire trail or yeah, an entire trail's worth of mail drops like that. And like, I know in some situations, like you kind of have to, if you have like a 
special diet or if you're hiking a trail that you like you really have to be on your shit when it comes to planning like that but freaking hey that yeah. <laughs> that sounds like such think, a pain in the ass that sounds yeah, terrible i think back then you just didn't know any better because it was yeah, yeah resources were so limited compared to today yeah exactly exactly um damn dude that's that's crazy as hell um i'm kind of curious about one of the lines in your email you wrote here um if you ever want to see how life changes 20 plus years after a through hike feel free to contact me. Now, I'm usually not the one to go into like the deep philosophical questions and reflections and all that stuff, um, but that, that did kind of stick out to me a little bit um, because, you know, we've talked a little bit about how the trail has changed or just, you know, some of the differences back then. Um, what did you mean by see how life changes 20 plus years after a through hike? I'm not saying that life necessarily changes, but just see how you, how it uh, kind of, 20 years later, it's still such a deep part of your life, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to this day, I mean, it's definitely one of the highlights of my life 21 years later now. And uh, you would think, uh, I know a lot of people would be on the trail as like their one and done deal, but it's one of those things. It's hard to take it out of your system. I mean, mm-hmm. 20 plus years later, it's still an obsession, not necessarily the AP, but just going online and reading all the gearies, reading Backpacker, looking at YouTube videos and all this stuff. And you think 20 years later, you would kind of slide by, but it's, it, it gets in your system pretty good. What's the, um, actually, no, I got a better question than what I was just going to ask. Uh, I guess watching the explosion of the popularity of backpacking and social media and YouTube and all these podcasts and stuff like that. Um, I'm curious, like how it makes you feel, because I feel like sometimes, and I hate to admit this, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Sometimes, not, not so much anymore, but maybe like a little bit in 2018 when I hiked, I almost felt a very, um, you know, very entitled, <laughs> which is ridiculous, uh, sense of just like, you know, I, I, I've known about through hiking and backpacking longer than a lot of these people out here, which is probably true, but also kind of a the way I was thinking about it was kind of douchey, but um, I'm just curious what you think about that because, I mean, you through-hiked way, way, way before, you know, most people that are into it now, uh, you know, were, were through-hiking or even just backpacking, um, again, with the explosion of YouTube and social media and all this stuff. So, um, I don't know. Do you, do, you, do you ever feel like, oh, you know, maybe not even in a bad way, but just like a... Like, <laughs> you could admit it if, if, if it's the case, it's okay. Just like, oh, like, I, I knew about this before it was cool or trendy or anything like that. And I know it's kind of a stupid question, but I'm just curious. <laughs> I guess to an extent, uh, I shouldn't say I'm, like, angry about the explosion of the stuff, but it's kind of like a, kind of like you said, I mean, I've been at it a long time, and you get frustrated that there's so many people in your territory now, but, I mean, yeah. everybody was a newbie at the beginning, so, I mean, yeah. The next generation is staying on the trail. That's what keeps the trails maintained and so forth. So it's not entirely a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good way to look at it for sure. Um, let's see here. How is it living? You don't got to say where exactly you live if you don't want to, but um, how is it living in the Adirondacks? That's two two guests in a row, by the way, who who uh, live in the Adirondacks, which is kind of cool. Well, it's, it's nice to have. I live, I'll tell you where I live, in Tupper Lake, so I'm pretty well in the center of the Adirondacks here. Gotcha, but gotcha. It's good and bad. It's nice to have such a mass amount of wilderness right outside your doorstep, 
But coming from Colorado where it was so sunny and nice all the time, it's kind of a drag when you get the days where, it, especially this time of year where you have three weeks of clouds and you want to yeah. get out, but you have no visibility and things like that. But it's definitely uh, nice having so many lakes and mountains all basically right out your back door. Good old Tupper Lake. I've like, I mean, I've been there a number of times, but I haven't really actually stopped anywhere there except for the McDonald's multiple yeah. times. Um, <laughs> but it's like, I don't know. I, again, I don't really know too much about it um, besides that like really bizarre like building that I was told once, which I don't know if this is true, but I was told it was like a, used to be like a hospital like a big hospital do you know what i'm talking about is it the white building right as you come into town i think so if you're coming from the east the east side i don't remember okay, what the yep. road is 30 a, maybe uh, it was an old uh, i believe it was an old veterans hospital and now it's i think it caters to special needs people but i'm not 100 sure i've only lived here a couple years so i don't know mm-hmm. all the ins and outs of town i remember that i remember <laughs> i remember there's <laughs> Oh god, I I don't need to go into this, but there, anyways, um, good old Tupper Lake. Uh, it's pretty close to uh, it's pretty close to where I went to school too in uh, yeah, Potsdam, I, which is pretty I cool. Pod go to Potsdam pretty regularly. It's the closest place with real amenities. <laughs> oh come on, Tupper Lake's got McDonald's, like I said. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe like a, a Kenny Drugs or two, a grocery store. Yeah, I feel like this. What, what can what can Tupper Lake not have that Potsdam has? I mean, Potsdam is like a tiny town too. Mostly if you need to go to a Walmart or something like that. I needed tires, so I was up there for okay, that. Okay, that's fair. Just a little cheaper up there. Oh, I know that Walmart. I, I shopped at that Walmart for four years when I was in college. Good times. Um, it's one of the best Walmarts ever. Anyways, <laughs> kind of back on track here. Um, let me ask you this. This might be a tough question to answer, so just do your best. But on previous episodes of the show, old pretty old episodes of the show honestly but i've mentioned it a number of times i feel like there's this weird difference between the adirondacks and the whites that i can't quite put my finger on because they are very they are very similar places obviously but i've always felt like there's like a slight difference in like maybe the culture or the people but it might not be either you've hiked a little bit in both places so just anything that i just said there does does anything resonate at all like can you just kind of talk about maybe some of the differences between the two places that you've uh, experienced yeah uh, i definitely feel the i would say the just from what i've been there i've never lived in the uh, whites but it seems that that has more of a culture based on mountain sports like the hiking and so forth whereas the adirondacks i think it has more of a hiking fishing culture as well and Mm -hmm. uh, i think that might be part of it i definitely think the trails i know it's not saying much but i almost think the trails are almost better in the whites compared to the uh, adirondacks and uh it's the hiking there in general it seems like uh it seems like the culture is more widespread it to me, I lived in Pennsylvania and never really knew much about the Adirondacks, but I always knew about the Whites, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. why that is. Yeah, see, that's like that 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 intrigues me too because, you know, I live in a in a weird area over here in Vermont because it's like I'm so close to both areas. Um, but if I wasn't literally right up against the Adirondacks, as in like can see them from the place that I live almost, uh, 
I th- I feel like I probably would have gravitated towards the whites too, and maybe that's just a, a a New England thing. Like obviously the whites are in New England, so I don't know. Um, it is it is I don't know I don't know what it is. It's interesting. I feel like I just end up like just just like spitting out a bunch of nonsense whenever I try to talk about this because I don't actually know what the hell I'm saying. But there's just something. There's just there's just a difference there. I don't I don't know what it is. I can't I can't put my finger on it exactly because there are so many similarities too i don't know i agree there is definitely a difference and i i don't think i can quite pinpoint it either i don't know if it the people that come to the adirondacks it almost seems like it's a a new york pride thing versus yes yeah it is it definitely is is just a minor culture difference that makes a difference yeah definitely so you mentioned at the beginning that you hiked the northfield placid trail this year uh or i guess last year now um we 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 got to talk about that a little bit because I mean obviously like Flossie and I hiked it this year did a couple episodes on it. Um, when did you hike the NPT? I did it in the beginning of September this year. So you were probably only like a couple weeks behind or in, in uh, ahead of us rather. Um, which oh, you is, did it this year? Yeah, we hiked. Uh, it was like late September into the first couple days of October. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, direction did you go? I started in the south, so went northbound. Yeah. And it seems like most people do it that direction for some reason. I've really only heard of like a couple people, obviously more than a couple people have done it southbound, but I've only heard of a couple people who have gone southbound and I'm kind of, I don't really know exactly why that is. I haven't really thought about it too much, but maybe just the fact that you start in town if you start northbound. I almost think it's kind of a tradition thing, almost like the AT yeah. is far more people hiking northbound. I believe it just had to do with the... Uh original trail because yeah, people would that's... take the train to Northville and then hike north and then take the train back but I think it's more of a tradition thing. I think so. I think that's like definitely like what it is because um, I just said oh maybe you start in town but you kind of start in town if you go southbound as well so yeah, um, that don't matter. How was your NPT experience uh, and be honest because I don't know if you listened to our previous yeah, episode or watched my video but <laughs> Crapping on it pretty good with that one guy. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we didn't have the the best time. It wasn't terrible. Um, I just, I look back on it fondly, but uh, yeah, it wasn't the best. Uh, it wasn't the best hike. So, yeah, did, was well, it better for you? How did you like that trail? I enjoyed it. I started it in uh, first day. I started. It was supposed to be kind of borderline day with showers. Well, it ended up being showers all day, and everything was soaked. Second day, it wasn't much better. So I was cursing the trail after the first few days because, you know, it's a, a wet trail to begin with. Mm-hmm. But after that, the weather cleared up nicely. I had beautiful weather for the rest of the trip, and I couldn't have asked for a better time the last three quarters of the trail. So, I mean, I really enjoyed it. That's like the exact opposite of us. Like, <laughs> we started in nice weather, and then it was just all downhill from there, buddy. Um, yeah, no, the first I exaggerate. few days I was cursing it pretty good, but after that, I, I got just a... Very peaceful, serene woods woods experience. You couldn't ask for anything better after Were that. The, I mean, the bugs the bugs must have not been too bad if you're in September, yeah. Yeah, the one I think it's Cedar River Flow. It was the name of the little lake there, mm-hmm. right before you get to Wakeley. It was getting by dark to, uh, nightfall. It was getting a little mosquitoey, but it was very minor. That was the only real bugs, and it was maybe twenty minutes of my time before I went in the tent for the night. Oh, but, nice. So it's not yeah, bad at all. Bit, not a real problem. <laughs> so I lucked out on that aspect, and even with the rain that I had the first couple of days, it was a couple of real high, clear, dry days, and by then, the mud was minimal the rest of the trip, so 
it was just if you can spend that time in the woods and weather is like that you can't complain no definitely not i think i'm coming to the conclusion that the first two-ish weeks of september is like the best time to hike the npt um in in the past i've said like fall like just fall is the best time but i'm really gonna narrow it down to those first couple weeks in september because it's like it's it's still the summer, so you're not going to get, you know, I guess you could get some cold nights, but you're probably not going to see, like, nights down in, like, the 20s. Right. Um, realistically, you probably might not even see any nights in the 30s, because um, I only saw a couple nights in the 30s, and I did it at the end of the month. Um, but you're not going to get, like, the bugs, or not as bad, anyways. Right. You might have a little bit more than you would if you went at the end of the month, like I did, but it's still not going to be that bad. Um, you'll get some leaves, maybe... Depends on the year a little bit, but you might not yeah, get as many, but it'll, it'll still be pretty. So I think the the first two weeks in September are the, the way to go in terms of like time of year to hike that trail. Yeah, I agree. I think I would say the middle month, middle couple weeks because there was barely any leaf color when I went. But by the time I got up to the northern end, there was a few patches here and there. But I think I would have liked to see these leaves. It would have been a, about two weeks out for me if I waited out. Yeah, we we definitely got some good leaves. Um, I think we were just a little bit behind it, honestly, because, uh, by the end we were like kind of post holing through leaves, <laughs> which yeah. it wasn't that big a deal. Honestly. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go after the leaves fall either. Cause like you said, uh, I think a couple places the trail would be a little tricky to follow where it gets leaf cover on the ground. Mm-hmm. How many people did you see out that, uh, that time of year? Uh, generally I would see at least a through hiker or two, uh, the middle section wasn't too busy. When I got up to Long Lake, it was uh, Labor Day weekend. Oh, so yikes. So <laughs> Long Lake was pretty busy in that area. And then yeah. that whole stretch along the uh, Cold River was some people out for the weekend type backpacking trips. But once I got past, uh, I forget, the duck hole, I didn't really see more than a couple people every few miles. I mean, I, there's people out, but it wasn't overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Um Dude, you hiked the long trail. I haven't talked about that trail in so long on this podcast now. Um, you Did I hear you say you hiked it in 2011? Yeah, I think that was the year. And I don't know if you remember, but did you live in Vermont back then? Hurricane Irene, that's what oh, you were yes, going to say. It was a month after Irene and the trail was just so saturated. Oh, damn, yeah. Down by somewhere in the area around uh, Killington, I remember there was a long stretch of trail that was just wiped out by a creek that flooded and just washed out the trail tread along the edge of the trail off the edge of the creek but that whole trip even a week a uh, month after irene the ground was really saturated still to make matters worse it rained i believe i was on the trail 10 days i did 190 190 miles i believe i had to call it quits after i got through killington just because it just rained and rained and rained that whole trip <laughs> i think it probably rained about six inches while i was out those 10 days so i just couldn't keep my feet dry and i ended up getting not as bad as year-long trail foot experience that I heard about, but <laughs> it still was pretty rough. They were pretty raw by the time I got to uh, Killington, and the next day it just rained again, and I had to call it quits when I got to whatever that uh, road crossing is near the Rutland Airport. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Route uh, uh, Clar- Claridon, whatever yeah, that road is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah just, just, just a little bit north of, like, uh, Killington, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to like it, but I, I just – the weather wasn't on my side, and that made yeah. all the difference. Yeah, oh, bro, you, you didn't even see the best part either. Yeah, That's I better. had like one day of, uh, I went southbound, so I had like 
maybe one day up oh, at JP. Oh, you went southbound. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you you did see. Yeah, you did saw, see the best I, person. Well, what little bit I could see. I saw a little bit up around the uh, top of Smuggler's Notch and Jay Peak was clear, but the rest of it was pretty much uh, pea soup and in the rain, so I didn't see much. Damn. <laughs> That's too bad. Damn, you, you did like a good... You did a good chunk of it then. I guess in theory, technically, you have hiked the whole trail then too because... Well, I did... I did end to end it technically, just not in one trip. I did uh, yeah. more than 190 miles. I made it past uh, Kellington and Main Junction, so I I did the other part when I did through hike. So I have hiked all of it, just not in one go. Yeah, and for everybody listening, just in in case you're not familiar with what we're talking about, there the AT and the Long Trail coincide for the southern like hundred ish miles, and so because he quit after the spot because he went southbound he quit after the spot where the two trails link it's like technically he has hiked the whole trail so um and i will say that as someone who's pretty damn familiar with that trail uh the northern section is more fun in my opinion anyways that being said it sounds like it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't very fun for you especially in 2011 so for everybody listening i'm probably not the best person to talk about this because this happened before i was into hiking and I was still pretty young, so I honestly don't remember that much from it. Um, I was doing stupid, like, you know, fucking, what was I? I was in high school at this point, stupid high school shit. But uh, in 2011, uh, people call it Hurricane Irene. I don't know if it was technically, I'm pretty sure it technically wasn't a hurricane by the time it hit us in, in Vermont. But um, we just got ravaged by this storm, and other places got hit too. Obviously, it wasn't like just Vermont for some reason, but um, Vermont got hit pretty hard. And that definitely just like, you know, messed up a lot of rivers and there's a lot of flooding, a lot of damage. And so the fact that you hiked like so shortly after that, um, I I wish I remembered that time period more. I wish I remembered what it was like more than I do because I could probably come up with some better questions. But um, I'm just, you kind of alluded to it briefly there. Like, was the trail like pretty damn destroyed from it still or, or were like, or was it kind of spotty? Like, can you just kind of talk about, talk about that a little bit? Well, the trail never really recovered as far as the. I mean, I know it's a muddy trail to begin with, but it was still in that muddy state oh, it after must the have been trail. Freaking brutal! What time of year were you hiking? It was. I want to say the last week of September, going okay. into October. Okay. So when you'd go up like the ski slopes, I believe it was like when Jay Peak, and even up that far north, it would just slosh under your feet, even though it was like a dry weather, mm-hmm. just because it was that <laughs> much rain there. And then, uh, the only place the trail was truly out of whack was down i think it was just north of killington i it's been a while so i don't remember exactly there was a stretch that was actually closed for a month by the forest service and that had just reopened right before i went out on the trip but there is a a river a creek that the trail flowed along uh, traveled Mm -hmm. along and there was a whole section of it that was like the tread was originally like completely wiped out and there's just cairns marking the route at that point oh geez so it was you were hoping you could see Karen to Karen through this place where the trail used to go. I'm pretty sure I know like the area you're talking about too, because in 2013, when I hiked down there and that like uh, pretty close to where you quit, I pretty sure for thinking of the same area um, down near Killington, there was a roadwalk detour and this was, yeah, in 2013. So, um, you know, a couple of years later, but still relatively close but then when I went through, and actually, I can't remember if it was fixed by 2016. It was definitely fixed by by uh, 2018, though, because I remembered 
hiking through there and being like, hmm, I'm pretty sure this like just like mile little stretch here or whatever I've never done before, which is kind of interesting because it's a long trail. But um, that's crazy. I wish I I wish I remembered more from that time period, honestly, because um, I that was just before I started to get into hiking. Yeah, and I and, think even I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, without no, no, that, no, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, without that uh, extra rain that fell during my hike, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal. But it was literally every day a pouring rain. I remember going over uh, like the Breadloaf Wilderness area, and it was temperatures like in the mid 30s and just driving rain, and <laughs> it just wore on me after so long. And then my feet by the uh, probably about the 150 mile mark were getting unbearable. And then just a couple more days of rain, I just my feet were hamburger at that point. I just couldn't go on without taking mm-hmm. at least a week off. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's a wet trail to begin with anyways. Yeah. And then throw in all the complications from that. I mean, you still hiked like the majority of the trail and you still hiked like a freaking hard ass section of it too. Yeah. Um, and I was going stuff- at a, I was going for a two week pace for the whole trail and I was on that pace, but just with the wet feet, I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard trail to do in two weeks. Fucking yeah. Out. I mean, I, I had the time <laughs> it's been to done, do it. but it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's real hard. Um, I don't think I could do it in two weeks. That's for sure. Maybe someday. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, let's see here. We haven't talked about the Colorado Trail yet. Another trail I know. I don't really know much about this trail other than just what's been talked about on the show, obviously. Um, but that's a very popular trail obviously that's a very famous trail one that i get told i should hike very often by people in my comment section so uh yeah. how can you just talk about that trail a little bit yeah i, I haven't hiked the entire uh, long trail i mean uh, colorado trail the biggest stretch of it at one point there's actually a stretch is called the collegiate loop it basically it's uh 160 miles roughly it's a uh, starts on the twin lakes to salida section and the one part you hike on the Colorado Trail and then you loop up the other side on the CDT. So it's a 160-mile loop going around the Collegiate Peak Wilderness, which is just a beautiful area. You're surrounding the densest concentration of 14ers out there. Mm-hmm. And I also hiked from uh, the start in the eastern side or the northern side, I guess, up by Denver or down to Twin Lakes, which is a, another 165-mile stretch and a little bit around the Weminuch Wilderness. But... It is a stunning trail. There's just a huge section of it that travels above tree line. So you get these, I know you hike tree line in Mount Mansfield and presidential range and stuff like that, but it's nothing like you see out west. It's just thousands of feet above tree line and just endless views of, of more alpine mountains. It's just a stunning trail. But uh, yeah, the trail itself, it's almost 500 miles long going from Denver oh, yeah. down toward Durango. And the first part, it stays relatively low, but as you get further west, you there's long stretches where you're on tree line, particularly on the part that coincides with the CDT. Can I ask you about that? Because, and I've asked this question before, but um, to other people that have done this trail, but as people know, they my, my regular listeners probably know exactly what I'm about to say, but uh, lightning, that's the thing that yep. uh, scares well, me the most about Colorado yep. <laughs> or just out west in general. Uh, can you talk about the uh, lightning on the trail, sure. your, your experiences with it? Yep, especially since I lived out in Colorado and hiked 14 years and stuff like that regularly. I'm pretty well uh, acclimated with uh, or acquainted with the lightning. Okay, okay. But every day in the summer, you get the monsoon season and generally you want to be off the mountain by midday because the clouds start to build and like clockwork you'll get these afternoon thunderstorms and you'll see this one cumulus cloud 50 miles away and 
it'll usually, more often than not, develop into a thunderstorm at high elevation. And when you're up at 12,000, 14,000 feet, you have several thousand feet below you before you get back into the tree line, and there's not really anywhere to go without any hits. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's a real threat out there if you want to be careful when you're out, probably, uh, I'd say, about beginning of July to the end of August. So it's like when you're... Well, that's that's good that it's not like you know, that long of a time period, but it's like when you, I mean, that kind of is though, it's like prime summer. Anyways, when you're just doing a day hike up a 14 or whatever, um, I feel like it'd be relatively easy to avoid it because again, just be off the peak by noon, like everybody says. But when you're through hiking on the Colorado trail, for instance, it's like you can't always just, and I remember I had this exact conversation with uh, my boy, hell yeah, Jesus, a long time ago. Because he 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 threw hiked the Colorado Trail, and we were—I remember—I asked him pretty much the same question. It's like, how do you deal with the lightning when you're backpacking or through hiking like that? Because chances are you're not going to be turning around because um, you're on one path. You got to go a certain direction. Chances are you can't always plan to be on the the exposed stretches or off the exposed stretches um, by noon because you got to make your miles and stick to your pace and stuff. So I don't know right. how do you how do you mitigate Generally, the risk in that regard what uh, i would always try to start hiking as close as you can to our sunrise if you get up at five o'clock or sometime around whatever depending on time of the year and just go from there and when you get over like uh that noon o'clock time and you see a uh, cloud starting to build just try not to go over another high pass if you can help it when you get out on the western part of the colorado trail where you're coincided with the cdt there there's some extremely long stretches where you're above tree line, and it's it's kind of it's hard to plan. I don't, I did, you just I don't, I kind of lose my train of thought there. But it's you just kind of go with it. And mm-hmm. If you see some storms coming, you try to stay down. But it sounds like there's like not that much you can do. It's yeah, when sucks. you get into certain stretches, there it's literally fifty miles above tree line. It seems <laughs> not much you can do except hope you <laughs> don't get too close to it. That's crazy, honestly. Lightning scares the shit out of me. So that's like one thing I'm like, lightning makes me more nervous than like mountain lions or anything else that people like might be nervous about. And again, I know like your chances are you're not going to get struck, obviously, but that shit makes me really freaking nervous. So when I was out there, I mean, every year there would be a few people struck by lightning on the higher summits out there. I believe the one year there was a Mount Bierstadt, which is a pretty popular 14er, a whole group got hit by lightning. There was no deaths, but there was obviously injuries involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hate to hear about it. Yeah. Um, dude, we're kind of getting towards the end of the episode now. Um, for the record, I did a very thorough job of reminding Troy to have a story for the end of the episode, so pat myself on the back for that one. Um, dude, let's, uh, let's hear what you got. End of the episode story, Trail Tales. Let's do it. All right, since we're on the Colorado Trail, this actually happened while I was on the Colorado Trail. Don't tell and, me uh, it involves lightning. No lightning this time. Okay, good. <laughs> but it was uh, in 2000, and not too far from the start from Denver, you get into the uh, wilderness area called uh, Lost, River, uh, Lost Creek Wilderness, I believe it's called. And I remember sitting along the trail having lunch or something and hearing uh, squirrels chattering at you. They kind of, I don't know what kind of squirrel they were, but they were kind of noisy. So I didn't think anything of it. I was hiking along a little bit later, and I heard some more chattering, assuming it was a squirrel. And next thing I know, out of nowhere, something drilled me on the top of the head. I mean, it felt like a bowling ball fell out of a tree and hit me in the head. 
I was literally seeing stars. So I uh, kind of like shook my head, got my composure, and I hear the squawking. And it turns out flying away from me is a hawk. A goshawk had flown down. I assume it had a nest nearby and attacked me. And it actually put a pretty good gash <laughs> in the top of my head. Oh, no. So I'm, I see this bird standing on another branch staring at me, looking at me in the eye, squawking again. And it comes back and... I was in the wilderness, so I didn't want to get hit in the eyes or something where I'd be seriously hurt. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of ducked down and put my poles above my head, and it flew into the poles that second time. But after having a bloody head at this point, I didn't want to get hit again. <laughs> Even though it's just a small hawk, I decided to get out of there because, again, it already cut my head open. I didn't want it to hit me in the eyes or something like that. Yeah. But of all the uh, time in the wild, that's the only animal attack that, <laughs> besides like a bee or something, that caused any damage. <laughs> damn that's crazy yeah those things i guess those things can be kind of brutal huh um, well, i know I, they're uh pretty uh defensive their nest compared to other birds of i was prey, gonna say i wonder why like why it swooped you like that in my past i've had a couple experiences where they've swooped me but never one actually followed through and hit me <laughs> well that thing but, must have been having a bad day geez yeah i don't know it, but i was wearing a hat it didn't put a hole in the hat but i had a pretty good cut on the top of my head which i don't know how it managed that but of all the animals I encountered, that one truly scared me when it looked me <laughs> yeah, like a second shot. Especially, it's like it's like coming from above you too. So it's like I don't know. Yeah, that that that's at first is kind of funny. I can see how it's like kind of sketchy, but it is kind of <laughs> funny too. I don't know. <laughs> well, they're a pretty big bird. They're on par with a red-tailed hawk in size, so it's a substantial hawk, probably twenty inches tall. So oh wow! Jeez. When it's coming at you. <laughs> And you see it coming at you at point-blank range. It's pretty uh, intimidating. Yeah, dude, I bet. Jeez, I've actually never never once have I ever thought about what it might be like. Because obviously, as hikers, you know, we we fantasize about, like, oh, what would happen if I got attacked by a bear or a mountain lion or whatever. <laughs> um, but I've never thought about a freaking bird like that. You'd, like, fucking A. Like, or just, <laughs> like, yeah, something coming at me from, from the, the air instead of... On the ground. That's nuts. Yeah, <laughs> That's and I'm not nuts. exaggerating. It, like, best thing I compare to is like feeling a bowling ball getting dropped on your head. I mean, it, it hurt. <laughs> yeah, man, I bet. Jeez. Well, I'm glad you're okay. Um, and thank you for uh, for doing this, Troy. I really appreciate it. Thank you for, yep. for reaching out. Yep, thanks um, for having me. This was a lot of fun. Why don't you go ahead and plug your blog or any social media you want to do? Um, where can people find you and check out your stuff at? Yeah, if you uh, find any of my stories interesting, you can look at my blog. It's Tomcat Outdoors. Or sorry, TomcatsAdventures.com. It's called Tomcats Outdoor Adventures, and there's also a Facebook page, Tomcats Outdoor Adventures. Awesome. I'll have a link to that, uh, to the blog in the show notes. And uh, that's going to do it, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, have a good one. Bye. Hey.